In the year 1986, horror maestro Stephen King, high off the astronomical success of his writing career as well as untold amounts of cocaine, adapted one of his short stories simply called Trucks to the screen. But this time, he wasn't merely writing the screenplay. Oh no, this would be King's directorial debut. Because, as King himself said when he showed his face in the original trailer and addressed the audience point blank, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And King went on to say, I'm gonna scare the hell out of you, and that's a promise. The theatrical poster proclaimed it to be a masterpiece of terror. Is it? No. Join us on this episode of Epic Film Guys B-Sides as we examine one of the most insane and baffling adaptations of a Stephen King work, and that's saying a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, rev up your engines. Here comes another load of joy. This is Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Welcome, ghouls, ghosts, and all you slashers out there to another Epic Film Guys B-Sides. That's right, this is the segment we do on the Epic Film Guys where we talk about that nitty gritty, that deep dark stuff in the sludge, in the sewers of cinema that no one likes to talk about but us. But you guys all love it and we love talking about it for you guys to listen. So as Loisaw said so perfectly in his introduction to this episode, we are talking about Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive, which happens to be Loisaw's favorite Stephen King adaptation <laughs> in the history of movies. Isn't that right, Loisaw? No, no, I think you have your uh, facts. I, am I confused oh, or are you confused? I think, I think you're a little bit confused. Um, well, why are we doing Maximum Overdrive, Justin? I don't know why because... Are we, <laughs> why I are we talking about it? I have no idea why we're talking about Maximum Overdrive. Um, sometimes with these B-sides, we reach out to you guys to hear what you want us to talk about. We'll do like a little poll or something. And recently I said, listen, dude, it's been like a month since we did Fright Night. We need to do something for our listeners. We got to give them something juicy. And he just said, Maximum Overdrive. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Well, because it's a movie we've talked about in the past and you seem to be very enthusiastic about it. And I am decidedly not. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert. I mean, give him everything but the kitchen sink right at the beginning of the episode, Loisos. Um, Yes, this was the first and only film directed by the great Stephen King, a movie that he now calls a moron movie. If you bring this up in an interview, he will literally stop the interview, pull the microphone off of his shirt and walk out. So don't try. Uh, on the special features for the Blu-ray that Vestron Video put out, I believe, last year or the year before, he said, no, I don't want to talk about that movie again. So, I mean, the funny thing about this is when you type in Stephen King, Loisos, on IMDb, his first credit is Writer of Maximum Overdrive. So... It's safe to say he's not exactly proud of this movie. The film was nominated for two Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Director for King and Worst Actor for Emilio Estevez in 1987. But fortunately for him, they both lost against Prince for Under the Cherry Moon. So this movie holds such a strong legacy, and we haven't talked about a Stephen King adaptation on the B-sides yet, have we? As far as I remember. No. I mean, if we did, I must have been pissed drunk, which happens quite often on this <laughs> segment. So I don't know. But Loisos, I, I got to throw it to you because we actually sat down for the first time together um, and watched this movie the other night. So rewatching the movie, it's Maximum Overdrive, baby. Well, it certainly is. I mean, if we were to just review the first half hour of this movie, you'd think we were discussing the greatest film ever made because it starts. the movie starts out pretty enjoyable. Yeah, no, I think I think the first act of the movie is extremely well done. It's very enjoyable. I love how it starts out. Uh, the funny thing that I think comes into mind immediately is when you watch the trailer, like picture yourself, and I like to say this on this segment a lot, picture yourself being that guy that's excited to see this. You see the trailer in the theater, um, you're reading about it in Fangoria or whatever. It looks you awesome. Know, there's hype and like him saying, you know, I'm going to scare you. And funny thing about that trailer 
is that they use Carpenter and Howarth's Halloween three score in there, which common thing back in the eighties people where they would use themes from other movies for trailers for new movies. Imagine being that guy, like expecting to go in and be like, oh my God, this is it. I've been waiting so long for one of his adaptations to be done by him and directed by him. It's And then you sit down and watch the movie and immediately <laughs> right from the beginning, you hear ACDC, which we'll definitely get into. But, you know, Stephen King, his cameo is like the first thing you see. Yeah. And, and you see him say, you see, you see Stephen <laughs> King, no doubt having just snorted a mountain of cocaine seconds before he stumbled. Thousands on the of set. dollars worth. Uh, thousands of dollars worth. And he, and Actually, he, there's probably mountains of cocaine like on the set, like at the craft table. <laughs> this machine just called me an asshole. And you see the machine just say asshole like a hundred million times. He's that's trying to when get you money know. out of the ATM. That's when you know <laughs> this movie's like, no, scary. Really? Well, yeah, at, at no at no point in the entire film do, uh, does there seem to be an attempt to scare the audience. It just starts out with chaos and mayhem right off the bat, which I would be perfectly fine with if it was if it was just an hour and a half of that. But unfortunately, it isn't. And you see this. Uh, um, I mean, before you even see any of that, like you get this title card that says like, uh, you know, on this date in 1987, uh, Earth passed through yeah, the tail right, of a I'll, comet. I'll, I'll read it for you verbatim, okay? Because I had to oh, bring okay. this up. On June 19th, 1987, at 9.47 a.m. Eastern Time, the Earth passed into the extraordinary diffuse tail of Rhea M, a rogue comet. According to astronomical calculations, the planet would remain in the tail of the comet for the next eight days, five hours, 29 minutes, and 23 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Very specific. I'm, I know. I'm glad they laid it all out for us, even though like two seconds later, you forgot all of that. Yeah. And then uh, you see the credit written and written for the screen directed by Stephen King. And then you see the man himself on screen. But then there's also like a, uh, a title card um, that that uh, lets you know the setting of the film, which is, uh, of course, since it's a Stephen King film, it's set in Maine. Right, Justin? But it's not at all. What? what? No. <laughs> It's not? No. Okay, the movie was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, and the cool it thing- It takes ab- place in Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah, and I think the cool thing about it is that this was in the early days of that city becoming a flourishing movie shooting location. Now it's like, you know, tons of movies shoot there every single year. What's Aside shooting from, there? Well, what's shooting there soon is Halloween ends. Also, That's the right. upcoming Scream 5 is shooting there yep. as well. Mm-hmm. So lots of stuff shoots there, lots of horror stuff shoots there. Um, And I was telling you before we recorded that when I was there on vacation with my wife a few years ago, I was in this bar, which had like props from Troll 2 in it. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And the guy's like, dude, that's not even the best of it. This is the scene that they use from, you know, David Lynch's Blue Velvet. And I was like, whoa. Um, But at that time, I wasn't as into filming locations as I am now. Had that been the case, the whole vacation would have been visited the locations for maximum overdrive. You Um, missed your opportunity. I would have done so 100%. (laughs) But um, I I love you were right in saying the opening of this movie is extremely impressive. My favorite thing, I think, is that it opens up with ACDC. The soundtrack is all done by ACDC with their logo actually shown on screen, which is a pretty special thing to see. Um, And this is something that I guess King wanted right at the beginning. He's like, this is what I want. So this is what we're going to have. And of course, me being a metal hard rock dude at my core, I absolutely love that. So that's amazing. And also, I think the opening sequence on the drawbridge is fantastic. I think it's amazing. You even see Donald Trump's second wife, Marla Maples, getting watermelons tossed at her in that scene as pure destruction and mayhem occurs. I mean, and I think that the action sequences in the beginning, it's very good. It's very well done. Very well, well yeah, it's, it, it starts off with a bang. You have that drawbridge sequence in which you have like cars flipping over each other and crashing and people people getting launched through their car windows and then you have watermelons flying everywhere. Like it's a big way to open the movie and it's exciting. It's an exciting sequence. Um, and you get the sense. Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, like the coolest thing about that is that gigantic truck, that actual stunt they did where that huge truck just falls through the middle of the drawbridges and go- goes right into the water. Yeah, it's awesome. It's large scale. And uh, it's frustrating because with sequences like that and with some of the stunts later on in the film, 
you get the sense that King is not entirely without talent as a director. Am I am I wrong to surmise this? I, would, I mean, we could talk about it at the end of this episode, but I'd go and go ahead and say that maybe a little bit less cocaine, maybe maybe half Stephen, maybe a quarter of what you did, you would have had a completely different movie. Um, but kids, this is what. It, if you want an example of what it's like to do a movie on cocaine, just watch Maximum Overdrive, because clearly he was on lots of it every single day. Um, but I think as far as the way it's shot, it's it's a very well-directed movie, um, tone aside, depending uh, on what you like. I mean, again, listen, you want the scariest horror writer of all time to give you something scary, right? You're not looking – I mean, especially when you compare it to other – film adaptations of his works prior to this think about what came before and this carry the shining <laughs> this hit smack dab and like whoa what the fuck is this steven like i would love to have heard what dino de Laurentiis, who financed the film who's the one that gave stephen king's the keys to this he begged him he said i want you to make this movie you know and king thought about it came back and said well why not and then what he would have said after i can he saw tell the movie, you why not <laughs> of course you know Dino De Laurentiis made your favorite King Kong movie of all time as well. So there's that as well. I mean, menace. He knows taste. But so, again, (laughs) going into the movie, the whole concept as a whole, Loisos, it's about it's very much like the mess. It's a bunch of people. It's like a ragtag group of people. In this case, a lot of rednecks, you know, truckers stuck in a truck stop. And all of a sudden, the machines start taking over. That's such a great concept. Yeah, I mean, it's an amalgamation of ideas and concepts that were done way more effectively in The Mist and Christine. But um, yeah, I mean, it is a terrifying concept to have, you know, our, our machines turn on us and malfunction and explode and and try to murder us. Like, it, that is a frightening concept. And I think King kind of updated it as well with um, his novel Cell, which I think was then turned into a movie that I never saw. But, uh, you know, there is that innate fear of technology turning on us and i think that is a terrifying concept but um it's not terrifying when you see it conveyed on screen in maximum overdrive (laughs) well there's a lot of reasons for that i think i mean one of them being that the tone of the film is obviously like very comedic secondly it takes place during the day obviously comedic though like (laughs) i don't know i mean I, i feel like again it was a different time but again going back to comparing it it's hard not to see it Comedically, his cameo right in the beginning of the film is a a pure indication to me that it's supposed to be, you know, he's winking at the camera. So it's not ACDC blasting with a huge Chrome logo popping up. Like, how could it not be Um, unless they were, you know, unless he was that high where he literally I mean, but he wrote some of his best pieces of work as far as his literature, his books high on cocaine all through the 80s. The dude pounded that shit up his nose. So, I mean, I don't know. But for me, at least watching it as an adult compared to when I watched it as a kid on HBO, it's definitely comedic. So we, we got to get into the nitty gritty of the movie. So it's taking place at the Dixie Boy truck stop, also known as Gas World, which I think, honestly, it's a great location to start a movie. We've got Emilio Estevez, who's supposed to be our hero. It's a great location to start a movie, not <laughs> spend the entirety of the movie there. But Well, there yes. are plenty of movies, Loisos, that you and I both enjoy that take place at much more boring locations than a truck stop. So, I mean, there's movies like Intruder, all takes place at a grocery store. The Mist, all takes place at a grocery store. A grocery store is like the most boring place in the fucking world. At least at a truck stop, you know, usually there's some kind of booze, there's food, there's broads, there's dirty, you know, white redneck motherfuckers hanging out in that place. It's actually not really a bad place to spend the apocalypse. That's what I'm saying. So the fact that they want to leave so quickly, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but getting to Emilio, it's a, it's a strange choice. And I couldn't find anything about why or how he decided to jump into this role. But I, well, I mean, this is with Stephen King. Like, well, I'm sure I think that's any probably I mean, but he's like the only one in the movie that is really notable. Like, I mean, he had just done Repo Man, The Outsiders, The Breakfast Club right before this St. Elmo's Fire. So, I mean, like he had a great career up until this point and He's supposed to be our heroic rogue character, you know, Yeah. this college boy. And even though he's like the best performance in the entire movie, that's not saying much when you look at the rest of it, you know? Yeah, he, I mean, his character is very dry and bland. And so I don't really know how you could imbue the performance with any charisma if the role is as milk toast as 
milk toast, you know? <laughs> like, um, well, that and like, you know, we have to have a love story in here. Actually, more than one love story, but we'll, we'll obviously stick with Laura Harrington as Brett. Who what is awful performance. Flattest performance in the entire movie. God. And she's she's actually decent in other movies like Devil's Advocate and, and a couple others that I've seen her in. But I didn't really recognize her when I first watched this again recently. But she's I mean, their relationship is terrible. Piss poor. Zero chemistry. Um, I, I'm pretty sure when you, you see them first meet, you know, you're like, really? Like, this is what I'm going to get. You're cute. Yeah. Well, not that cute. Maybe I'll grow on you. I was like, if this is the first indication that the Bill and Brett characters are going to have, it's absolutely zero chemistry for the duration of this film. Yeah, it's 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 hackneyed dialogue. I don't even I don't even know how you could look at 80s era Emilio Estevez and be like, he's not that cute. <laughs> I mean, he's the most gorgeous thing, obviously, in the in the entire movie. But like any movie that he's in, he always stands out as one of the most attractive males. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, so and Emilio. And- and there's that part later on where they have sex in the cot in the uh, basement of the truck stop, which is but, like but, the least romantic location but, I can imagine. Us, wouldn't you want to have sex with Emilio Estevez on a cot in the back of a gas station? <laughs> I would. I mean, come on, dude. That, uh, how many girls like, in the you, 80s had that as a dream? I, I suppose you're right. But then she's like, you sure make love like a hero. And it's like, gag me with a spoon. Just awful. Well, we'll get to that scene a little bit because that scene – is pretty funny to me when you think about it with her dialogue, at least like, wait, it took you that long. So we'll, we'll get to that. But again, we, we get to, we get to this truck stop and this is where shit starts hitting the fan. We get the iconic green goblin, happy toys tractor trailer, which is basically the star of the movie. When you look at, you know, any of the movie paraphernalia, you look at the poster or anything like as far as fan art, you see that truck. And I guess right from the, the forefront, Stephen King wanted the green goblin in the movie. I don't know how or why, but they, but Marvel comics did get cre- the actual credit in the end of the movie. So he just really wanted the green goblin truck in there. I, I think it's amazing. I think it's awesome. You know, it's glowing. Yeah, I, red don't really eyes. Know, I don't really know why I, don't, I, I can't imagine anyone expecting the image of like this grinning, like green goblin with red eyes uh, to, to, appeal to children of any kind it doesn't really make sense to me that that's the mascot of a toy company um did the spider-man comics exist in the world of maximum overdrive like is it meant to be the green goblin or is it meant to be the something else like a mascot for the toy company i don't know well there is i mean Um, there's i mean he shows up in more ways than one later on in the movie when emilio's character bill actually investigates the truck you see a little pop-up jester version to a toy of the green goblin pop up as mm, a jump scare which fails right. miserably yeah it's so, the worst jump scare of all time <laughs> I, I don't know again who knows what the fuck was going through stephen king's head we could just literally attribute every weird thing in this movie to cocaine i mean i've been there yeah. ladies and gentlemen i know you can make some really bad decisions so don't do drugs that's that's the i guess <laughs> the lesson to be learned <laughs> there's from a lesson to this movie don't do lots of drugs like Stephen King. I mean, unless you're going to write books and then it's fine because then you'll write some classics and you'll become rich from them. But the movie opens. We get to the the truck stop. We're meeting all these ragtag little characters, super over the top. And of course, we've got Commissioner Gordon himself, Pat Hangel, hamming Pat it the Hangel. fuck up as Mr. Hendershot, who is literally, I mean, they might as well have cast Foghorn and Leghorn in this movie. I say, <laughs> boy, I say. I say, what you doing over there? He's literally that level of hammy in this movie. Yeah, it's a completely over-the-top performance. Well, most of the performances in this movie are over-the-top, except for Estevez. And uh, I think that's the weird thing. I mean, he's, as you said, he's very dry. He's playing it pretty straight. He's playing yeah. it almost like a southern drama, and everyone, everyone else is around him is like, don't you know we made you? How dare you? Oh, my God. Well. I got to get to her in a little bit, but I think the coolest thing that happens, we get to the truck stop, traditional truck stop. Anyone that's ever been in one of those Southern truck stops. I, when I was a kid, my uncle Keith was a a truck driver and I would travel with him on weekends when he'd like go down South for just the weekend and I'd ride in his truck and I thought it was real cool. You stop at truck stops and stuff like that. So I grew up in that world. Um, But I think it's, it's very well done. And I think that it's very realistically done per the time frame. And then we get the meat slicer gag, which is probably in my top three favorite scenes in the entire movie. 
the meat slicer literally comes alive and starts slicing her her arm up. And you hear this dude in the background. Hey, that knife go rabbit on you, sweet thing. It, it was, it's done in almost like a, a evil dead style where you see it from the view of the meat slicer, like on the floor coming to try to kill her. How hilarious is that? Like, how is that not the most entertaining thing you've ever seen? I, I, I did enjoy that scene in particular because it definitely felt like a tongue in cheek kind of evil dead gag. Um, and again, horrifying when you think about it. If you leave a uh, electric knife on the counter and aren't really paying attention and all of a sudden turns on spontaneously and it slices your arm up. I think that's a genuine fear that most people have. I think uh, a lot of housewives, particularly in the 80s and the 90s, that used that device would probably always think that like when I was growing up, my grandmother would always use that at Thanksgiving or when she, or she was cutting a chicken up or anything. And I was always told you stay away from this. Like you don't come near me when I'm using this because dude, seriously, you could turn that shit on and cut somebody's head off with it. Right. So to have the scene ruined by drunk rednecks shouting over it is, is unfortunate. I kind of uh, like the drunk redneck. So I think I disagree with you on that. Well, my point is it could have been something scary and instead of it's turned into, I don't even know what the tone is. I guess funny, question mark. (laughs) The film is hilarious. When you're a kid, it probably comes off as being frightening or probably just like, I mean, it's that one movie when you were a kid that, oh my God, that's so cool. Killer trucks. And of course we have to get to you know, the fact that we see all these amazing stunts with these tractor trailers with no person driving them. And it's done, I think, very well. Um, and it's terrifying in some way. But as well, a kid, somebody you're had probably, to have been driving them. I know, but you just don't I'm see saying them. <laughs> the way that it's shot. Sure. You can't tell. It's not like you can see an arm or a hand up there with a black glove driving. You know, they do it yeah. very well where you can't tell. And as a kid, you're probably like so excited to see this kind of thing. I mean, back in the 80s, all of us kids just played with fucking cars and trucks and shit, made them smash into each other and stuff like that. So this movie definitely would have appealed to a lot of kids. To to and that's what it feels like. The movie feels like it's Stephen King as uh, a kid. Uh, yeah, like it's his little playground. It's it's an excuse to smash shit up and play with trucks. <laughs> well, I mean, my next favorite gag in the movie is when we see the Little League team that wins. Oh, my God. And that cheap-ass motherfucking coach. What a fucking cheapskate. Seriously. Come on, sodas. I'm buying. What? I'd be like, just sodas, dude? No pizza in this motherfucker? And then he gets his because of that, man. No McDonald's. No nothing. Just sodas. And then (laughs) it's got one of the best gore scenes in the entire movie when the coach gets a huge can wound on his forehead. And then, like... (laughs) <laughs> the soda machine just starts spitting out cans at kids and attacking them. Oh my god, I love that scene. Well, everyone it hits knows. him with the balls first. Yeah, he gets hit in the crotch, and I imagine uh, how fast do you think those cans are being shot out? I at? mean, how many miles per hour? Do you honestly, think? when you compare it to if you've ever been like a at a like a uh, a batting baseball range. batting range or whatever, yeah. which I would used to go to as a kid all the time, and I sucked at it. When those balls are coming at you, even like half speed. Like 50 miles per hour. That's what that's what it looks like. Those cans are coming out. So imagine getting hit in the head by a can, a full can of soda at 50 miles an hour (laughs) in the balls. And then it hits him in the head and he's got that sick fucking can wound on his forehead. And then, of course, it leads to, I think, the best scene in the entire fucking movie. It has to be your favorite scene because we all know that Loisos likes to see kids get decapitated and squished by giant fucking concrete (laughs) rollers. Dude, it, it literally... Out of nowhere, it just goes over and crushes this kid. You just hear as it squashes this kid. And ACDC is blasting (laughs) in the background. Like, what's more epic and fucking cool than that, dude? Uh, Nothing, which is why, like, that scene is so, so incredible that you you can watch this movie, sit down and watch this movie and turn it off after that scene because it's not going to get any better than that. Um but yes, we all know that I love to see small children in horrible pain. My my biggest problem with this is that you don't see blood spatter everywhere uh, when the kid gets run over. Well, and, they, uh, they, they did. I, I know for a fact that they did both versions, makeup effects, 
man, Dean Gates, who did the makeup in the movie. He did Day of the Dead, Nightmare Weekend, one of our favorite movies, and oh, Invasion God. USA. So he was a understudy wow. of Tom Savini. He did all the makeup effects on the movie, and he got the job based on the fact that Savini worked on Creepshow. King met him on there and everything. Um, and he did two versions of that, and they opted for the bloodless version. Obviously, the MPAA watched yeah. this movie, and they're like, you can kill the kid. Sure. But you already get the other guy in the movie. The other base, you know, the little leaguer, Zeke, his dad gets crushed in the movie and you see blood gush everywhere, literally like blow apart guts and everything. So they're not going to let this kid get crushed with blood and guts everywhere. It's just I would have preferred to see. I mean, you see his head getting run over. See the kid's brains pop out. I'm all about that. But obviously they're not going to let him go that far. No, because they had a bag of blood that they were going to put next to the kid's head so that when the steamroller came over it, you you saw like, but you saw the like trail of blood on the steamroller itself. But when they actually shot it, the bag exploded and the blood sprayed everywhere and King loved it. He thought that was, he, he was just tickled pink about that. But of course the MPAA would never have it. Um, Cause you know, they're sensitive to people dying in slasher movies in general. And, um, a kid is like even more egregious when they're like, well, we can't show that. And then you have me in the audience going, I want to see that. <laughs> Give it to me. You have literally almost all of us saying that like any horror fan, I've never heard any hardcore horror fan say, no, don't kill the kid. Just kill the adults. Like we want to see all the all motherfuckers get slashed up, squashed and blown up. Seriously. That's why we watch these movies. And for some, I mean, I don't tell my wife that. I mean, I, I wouldn't tell my mom. That's why I watch these movies, but you know, just saying, just saying. But the movie moves along and it takes place mostly at this truck stop, which you find to be a boring location. I find to be a fine location. I did skip over one of my favorite scenes in the movie where we have dude playing arcade games. And I think it's a very well done scene where all the arcade games start going wild. That's Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. And the arcade game itself, Star Castle, which I've never seen in real life or ever played, don't know if it's a real thing. It hypnotizes him and electrocutes him to death. He's also wearing a hostess snack cake, what, what appears to be a hostess <laughs> snack cake, <laughs> on his head. <laughs> For some reason, uh, I don't know. There's like I don't. There's like minor product placement. I mean, the the big truck in this movie causes so much mayhem you'd wonder how much money Bick paid to have their truck in the movie because you see no Bick like a hundred times in the movie because you know there it is that's what they picked but um, I love that scene because another fear I'm sure a lot of parents had at the time their kids just stuck to arcade games like that's gonna electrocute you boy you better stay away from that <laughs> you know it's gonna rot your brain electrocute you one of these days I mean back in the day they thought that arcade games or video games in general rot were rotting kids brains so I don't know. An early idea in St Stephen King's brain, all that cocaine and everything, it kind of led to... I, I love that scene. I think it's brilliant. I suppose. Um, and then the machines start shooting loose change everywhere, and he's like stealing cigarettes out of the machine and stuffing them in his pocket. And um, it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. But he gets his in the end, doesn't he? Yeah, well, for stealing, yeah. I mean, I don't know. What were they trying to say, Lois Are you going to get all sociopolitical or are you going to get all modern on me and say like I'm just saying he's well, the only black racist. guy in the movie no he's not there's the other black trucker in the movie that helps oh, later yes, in the movie that's and right. I'm pretty sure he I'm pretty sure he lives I know there's going to be some fan in the comments it's like no he dies in that one scene that you don't see but I mean I'm pretty sure that he lives um, but yeah okay I mean again I don't even know if the watermelons in the beginning of the movie mean anything either why watermelons but because they're fun to smash, that's why they really are, though. I'd say almost as fun as watching a pumpkin get smashed. So the the other two characters that we haven't mentioned yet are the newlyweds. And these are the the most obnoxious characters in the entire. Actually, are they the most? I would say, yeah, actually, they are. Well, the I'd most say Yuri Smith's characters. character, Connie, is the most obnoxious, annoying Southern character in the history of film. Yes. Yeah. You're not you have, going out there. You know, she's constantly just screaming shouting at the top, at the top of, her of her lungs. lungs. Yeah. She would not shut the fuck up the entire movie. And she's good. And I mean, Smith is good in tons of other movies. She's a great character actress. She's I like Lisa her. Simpson. I know she's great in tons of stuff. And it's like, dude, 
every bit of dialogue, you goddamn assholes, what the fuck? I'm like, that's all her dialogue is, is complaining. I mean, obviously, I kind of get it because they just got married. They're, you know, they're We're on their way to day. their honeymoon. They're having a bad day. I get it. My wife would probably be that pissed too. But for every bit of dialogue she has to be just either bitching at her husband or cursing out people, you know, why does this keep happening? I love the scene where he literally turns. He's like, I don't know. He screams in her face. It's like, yes, that you're you're saying that through the audience member's eyes. Shut the fuck up. Seriously. I how would any of us know? That's why he told you to turn on the radio to keep checking to see why what's going on. He doesn't know, dude. But right. of course, our wives all expect us to know everything when we really don't. So they get holed up in the Dixie boy too. So the rest of the movie really is just endless scenes of the trucks, like circling the, the, the truck stop, which could be a very chilling, ominous image. If the movie didn't keep replaying it over and over, we weren't stuck there for an hour. (laughs) The film, the film really starts going off the rails and off the road, if you will. Once Uh, commissioner Gordon starts blowing up trucks with a fucking bazooka with a cigar hanging out of his mouth, like take this, you son of a bitch, which is awesome. Like (laughs) when he shoots the Mack truck with a bazooka, like toilet paper flies everywhere. You get toilet paper raining down from the sky. And that scene's awesome. Um, But like, it also brings to mind the question, like, why is the bazooka working? Why is that not affected when all of the other machines and, and, and weaponry is affected? Um, Whatever. I guess that doesn't matter. Because they have a whole, they have a whole arsenal of guns in the truck stop. And none of those ever seem to go. How dare you try to find a practical reason for things in maximum (laughs) overdrive voice us. That is not allowed. You know, what? people are going to come and listen to this and be like, dude, why is he trying to find sense in this movie? <laughs> it doesn't exist. Um, and this is where I'm going to lead to this. We talked about it earlier. And for that matter, I'm sorry, but like what's stopping the trucks from just smashing through the store and killing all of them? Well, I think there's a plotting. It's supposed to be suspenseful. Like mm. they're waiting to, to to make our characters feel scared, like they can't leave kind of thing until we get into a little bit later and they start communicating, which is fucking weird. But I think the movie where I started getting annoyed is, you know what I think it is? I think it's the comet as Bill and Brett are banging. You think so? How has no one else connected the events of the comet coming down and all these crazy killer machines until this point in the movie? In the words of Curly from the Three Stooges, (laughs) is everybody dumb? (laughs) I mean, seriously, like no one's even mentioning it. They're, they're, we see them reading the paper. Like, are we led to believe that these are literally just archetypal dumb redneck characters that yes. can't figure anything out? The is answer that, is yes. Is that, is that why? Uh, I, I want to say the answer is yes to that. Um, but also, it's incredibly silly later on uh, the theorizing of what the com like why the comet is affecting the machines. Um, Emilio Estevez basically says that the, the, the tail of the comet acts as like a broom. Yeah. He said it's a broom sweeping, twice. Uh, yeah, that, that is like sweeping the human race off the planet or something. And aliens are doing this because they want to inhabit earth. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. No. Again, Steven, too much cocaine. And I'm sorry and it's for because saying that, but... It, it, and it's because Earth is too polluted and they want to make Earth not polluted anymore. I, I don't I don't understand. He says they're interstellar house cleaners, which made me laugh out loud when I <laughs> revisited this film. It's just so well, it wouldn't be It wouldn't be the last time that we see a movie about alien invasion where they want to come here and wipe us all out because we're ruining our world. We're ruining our planet. And they want to come harvest it and take care of it. No, of course. Uh, it also wouldn't be the only Stephen King novel or work to have aliens be the big reveal at the end. Because, and we're jumping ahead of ourselves here, but uh, this is just a theory by Emilio Estevez's character. And then at the very end, we learned that he was right the whole time. <laughs> no, of course. And as you said perfectly a few moments ago before we got into that, I mean, the movie does take a nosedive in a lot of ways. I mean, it builds up very, very well. And then we have the trucks circling and then we have endlessly. Then we have them communicating using Morse code and Zeke 
uh, the young boy in the movie whose dad got brutally slaughtered earlier when after he got diesel in his eyes and he couldn't see anymore. Um, and he's tr- on his way to try to go find his son. He gets smashed by one. It's one of the best kills in the movie. He dropped so. his keys. I'm glad he's dead because um, I get to see him get killed. But the, the kid that plays Zeke, I don't have his name in front of me, but he's actually quite good in the movie. His performance is very good. But he he yeah. he just randomly knows Morse code. So thank God for this kid because all y'all are a bunch of dumb redneck motherfuckers that can't figure out shit. And he's like, oh, I know this. Give me a pen and paper. And he writes out that they want to be fed gas. So well, Emilio's character, Bill, is like, yeah, let's let's feed these guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that whole conceit is is also ludicrous. the The fact that hashtag the kid, cocaine. I, I think the fact that the kid knows Morse code is explained by the fact that he was in Boy Scouts or he's currently in Boy Scouts, so he learned Morse code. Um, I believe that's the explanation they give in the movie. But his name is um, Deke. Actually, I don't think it's Zeke. I think it's Deke. Like is D-E-K-E. it really Deke? Yeah. And the actor's name is Holter Graham. And he, this kid's actually really good in the movie. No, he is good. I mean, I just never have heard the name Deke before. I just know of that company that used to make cartoons in the 80s called Deke. But oh, I, God. <laughs> maybe I just kept hearing it as Zeke. I don't know. I just know that's a real name. But Deke, how is, Deke's really a name? Oh, my God. I, I suppose so. Listen I to you correcting so. me here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I got the kid from Maximum Overdrive's name wrong. Please burn me at the stake. Justin, how dare you? I know. How dare what you? kind of fan am I? But but when Deke's father dies, again, great performance from Holter Graham where he's really emoting and he's really um, – you really feel for this kid that his father ha- has died. And the very next scene, it cuts to him, from him crying about his father to him just sitting at the table blowing bubbles. Because <laughs> like, oh, he got over that pretty quickly. But I mean, you are correct in that. That performance is good there, and I think that's probably one of the best pieces of acting in the entire movie where Emilio's character, Bill, is holding – I'm just going to keep calling him Zeke because I don't give a shit <laughs> – in his arms, and like he embraces, and he's really trying to calm him down. And of course, you know, how would it feel for you to find out you went all the way there to where your father works and he's dead? I mean, the kid puts on a pretty good performance within the boundaries of what this movie allows him to do. And then it's instantly forgotten about in the next scene. Um and then uh, we also for- forgot to mention this Bible salesman character who um, – this is a Stephen King staple. You have the ultra-religious character who who gets his comeuppance in the end. But uh, he's pushed off the road by a truck, right? Like, Yeah, the tractor trailer hits him from the back end and he ditch. falls into a ditch into a muddy creek and he's laying and you, there. And you assume that he's dead, but then later on they – in, in the general store, they hear his voice or they hear him screaming or something. And they say, we have to go get him. And they, they leave to go rescue this Bible salesman for some reason. Um, as and, an excuse to get them out of the building to engage fear and suspense and fright. But there's no suspense. It actually deflates the tension when they sneak out and leave because they could just leave. Like the 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 trucks don't even seem to notice or care that they've left the you store. You know why, Sauce? You know why? Because they're fucking trucks. That's why. Because they don't know anything. Because they're just machines. Well, but again, that deflates the tension. <laughs> it, when a truck I can love, come, I love you so much. I love the fact that you're trying to make sense out of maximum overdrive. No, but look, <laughs> if the trucks have, because we see it later on, if the trucks have the capacity to smash through the general store and murder them at any moment, one, why didn't they do that sooner? And two, like, why have the characters just leave and then go back into the store? Have them escape if that's what you're going to do. So anyway, the kid. Uh, Deke or Zeke or whatever his name is uh, finds the Bible salesman laying there and it has the longest build up to a jump scare of all time where the audience is just waiting for him to jump up but the Bible salesman is just laying there and for the longest time the kid's like snapping his fingers in front of his face to like check that he's alive and it, it goes on forever but he jumps up and then he's like if you don't drag me back to the store, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you ha- you have to have an ultra-religious character because his whole thing the entire time is that, like, you know, this is God's reckoning. The machines are 
taking revenge because Jesus is punishing us. So also, this is King obviously wanted like a really big perv in his movie too because he will not take his hands off the Brett character for some reason. She's just riding along with him in the car in the opening of the movie, and he can't get his hand off her leg. She's hitchhiking, I think. But it's gross, dude. Like, yeah, ugh, yuck. Yeah, especially in today's climate, man. I'm sure that plenty of people could look at this movie and. It's an abomination. Oh, my God. He's touching your leg. And she said, no. Well, it's an abomination for many, many different hey, reasons. Hey, you shush but... up now. Listen, seriously, we know that you're wrong and I'm right about this. This movie's <laughs> a fucking blast. And I mean, aside from the constant, we made you. Don't you oh, understand? Oh, my God. I mean, that's so that's annoying. Legit nails on a chalkboard from Wanda June, that character. I mean, but listen. She gets hers earlier on. That bitch has a reason to be crazy. She got her arm almost cut off by a meat cutter. So yeah. I get it. And you know what? I almost stood up and cheered when she gets pumped full of bullets at the end of the movie. Tons of scopes coming out of her chest. I mean, it's like a huge sense of satisfaction when she gets blown the fuck apart. So I'm like, finally, you stop with this nonsense. I mean, you understand that they're machines, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so the, um, the machine gun comes to life It. Which is amazing. Kill, How yeah, amazing kills, is that? Kills like five or six people in the general store. And then the horn on one of the trucks starts honking and they decode the the message, which is basically like they need they need fuel. They're Feed demanding us me. to fuel them. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so then Emilio Estevez, uh, I guess it's implied that trucks from all over come to get refueled and so it's like miles long line of these trucks and so it's implied that Estevez is out there for like hours and days refilling these these trucks which I guess I don't know is that commentary for us being slaves to our machines like is there a deeper meaning to this um I don't know but it completely deflates the momentum of the movie like there's no momentum uh at this point where it's just like where's the tension where's the suspense where's the fun like what happened to this movie was fun at one point but dude listen what's more fun than a machine gun that rides on fucking wheels that has a mind of its own going around blowing people away that's the most fun thing it it sounds fun in theory but no it is fun maybe maybe you're just a stick in the mud way sauce i don't know that to me when i'm seeing people getting blown away with squibs no less which we never see in movies anymore like brutally slaughtered for no reason, just because they're just because they're a stupid redneck doesn't mean that they deserve to be murdered, except for that one bitch. She should have shut the fuck up, seriously, because she just just saying, just saying. So they finally escape the Dixie boy. Um, and you see kind of the aftermath of other incidents that have happened. You see a plane that has nosedived Dude, and I crashed know. into a... Oh my God. How impressive is that shot though? I want to know how they did that. They actually put a plane into the roof of a school bus. That's legit real. That's not a miniature. So how the hell did they do that? Uh, they built it. I- I'm assuming. It's so amazing, dude. Uh, like I said, there are some impressive shots and set pieces that make me think, wow, King may actually have talent as a director. But I also read somewhere that there are reports, rumors of some sequences, perhaps even long stretches of the film being directed by George Romero because he and King were uh, friends at the time. And there's there's rumor, I guess, that a a large portion of the film was ghost-directed. Where did you hear this? I've never heard this before. I just read it on IMDb Trivia, so IMDb Trivia could be full of shit. Who knows? Well, I mean, I wish I had... He was on set. He was on set. uh, Well, yeah, of course he was. Um, I wish... This is right after they did Creepshow a a number of years later, but, you know, I wish I had known that. I'd never heard about that. I would have looked deeper into that, because that's very intriguing to my mind, like, if Romero actually had some, you know, unknown directing credits in this movie, because it, (laughs) it would show, because... To be fair, like you said, as much as you don't like the movie in a lot of ways, there's some impressive stuff in it. And what if like all the impressive stuff was Romero? I mean, seriously, what if he was there in King's ear like, Stephen, you're doing too much cocaine. Stop. Well, I think, yeah, I I think it was because King was so strung out the entire time that he asked for Romero's advice on a lot of things. So who knows what kind of influence he had on the film. But 
um, it makes you wonder when some of some of the movie is like quite impressive and other aspects are god awful. Well, the movie ends in Finally. lackluster form. <laughs> Adios, motherfucker, as as the Green Goblin truck, the toy truck comes and finds them Se- there at the dock. Sneaks up on them. There's that part where the guy steals the diamond ring off the Which corpse. Which looks like it came out of a fucking Cracker Jack box, by the way. I'm sure it did. And then it's revealed that the truck was behind him the whole time. And I'm like, did how did he not hear that? <laughs> it kills the one dude. Emilio. I keep His na- character's name is Bill, but let's just Who say cares? Emilio. He shoots him with the bazooka. And then like it blows up. Like that's it. And that's, that's it. <laughs> that's the ending. I mean, I don't know how else Loisos they would have had a showdown between human characters and a tractor trailer truck. I they suppose have done something it serves more... its purpose, but I mean, it's not like they can have a, a you know they could fight. No, or anything, but they could have but... done something a little bit more clever than what we saw earlier on Pat Hingle do. Like it's just the same thing. It's just not impressive when we see it. Like this is supposed to be the big bad, the big bad, final yeah, the truck. big showdown. I know, I know. And par for the course. This is uh, Stephen King has always had trouble sticking the landing. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, You've said par- it on every single review we've ever done. Ever. Par for the Anything course, though. This Stephen is a terrible King. ending from Stephen King because they just get on the boat. And they they didn't even have to shoot the truck with the bazooka. They could have just got on the boat and like, what is the truck going to do at that point? Like chase them through the water. So the ending just doesn't work for me. And then there's text that comes up on the screen and says, by the way, there was a large UFO orbiting Earth. And the Russian weather satellite destroyed it. (laughs) It's like, what? The Russian satellite just happened to have nuclear missiles on it like that. It's so and, and, and ridiculous. And then it waits and it, and, it, and, it's, and it basically says, it's like the Dixie Boy truck crew, and then it like it waits. And then it says, they all survive. Yeah, the, the, the survivors the survivors are still survivors. And I'm like, okay, great. That's good news. Thanks for telling us. So for me at that moment, where Lois Oss just gets up and walks out of the theater like, what the fuck? I stand up and cheer like, yes, that fucking fool, bro. Nah. Seriously, how, how much fun is this movie? It's lots of fun. I I think it starts out as lots of fun. I think the first 30 minutes, you know, has the movie speeding along the highway at you know, in high gear, but by the end of the movie it's like barely crossing the finish line. It's like stalling and sputtering. Like it really loses its way. And I just don't know what it's trying to do. It veers wildly between uh unintentional comedy intentional comedy and interminable boredom um if it's intended to be a comedy then it's not effective because it's not funny all the way through and if it's intended to be horror then it's not effective because it's not scary at all so well yeah i'll make it clear with you right now when i watched the movie for the first time as a kid on hbo didn't scare me then um i mean if anything it just excited me as a boy to see huge trucks blowing things up and with a mind of their own. It was a very impressive way to see these trucks driving around on their own green goblin. I mean, that's what's iconic about the movie. And of course, as a kid, I'm like, Hey, that's mighty ducks, dude. So, I mean, with Emilio in there, there's a lot of cool things about the movie. And that was probably one of the first movies I saw that was Stephen King related. And like I said earlier, he, it's his first and only directorial piece of cinema he never directed a film again never and thank you imdb for reminding him every time he clicks his own name the first thing that comes up is writer maximum overdrive <laughs> seriously i mean the man is known for probably i mean let's 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 make it clear here probably the most iconic horror writer in the history of literature yeah. probably oh, yeah. so i mean i could understand why if you ask him about this he wants to punch you in the face but i mean Hey, man, you can't blame the cocaine because you wrote a bunch of really, really, really good books on it. You just didn't really directing isn't your thing. And I get it because plenty of writers went on to do the directing gig and it didn't work. Some did and they flourished and they continued to be good in that field. But apparently King's just he's a great ideas guy. Um, You have to understand, I mean, plenty of his books were adapted into scripts, some of them he wrote the script and a lot of them got torn apart. So you want to take hold of your material. This is your stuff, you know, even if it's just a short. Well, and how embarrassing that this is the result. 
Well, I mean, like, you know, other killer car movies before this were great. You wrote Christine, which Carpenter did, which I think is a near masterpiece. Masterpiece, yeah. Duel. I mean, even The Car, which I hadn't watched up until recently, which is very good. The car is actually very scary in it and menacing. None of the vehicles in this movie are menacing. None of them are scary. I think it's a clear indication in the beginning of the movie. He's trying to be tongue in cheek. It's trying to be campy. You disagree. We'll have to leave it there, but I don't even know. I don't even know if I disagree. I just don't know for certain, so I can't agree or disagree. But, um, but Lois Sauce, I'm hungry, dude. <laughs> you want to go grab some food at the Burger Lean? How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do it. But thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this Epic Film Guys B side. We just appreciate so much you guys sticking around. More Epic Film Guys content is on the way. We haven't died. We're not in our graves yet. Even though we like to pretend we're zombies on this show, we are not gone. We're going to keep coming back with content to hit you in the face, stab you in the chest, and make you ooze. Justin, what's next month? It's October. My favorite time of the year. Spooktober. Yeah, baby. Yeah. So be on the lookout for more content from us. Yeah, of course. From all of the epic film guys, including our, 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 our lord and savior, Nick who helms this whole thing. We have to thank him for editing this show. And But above all, thank you guys for listening and just sticking with us. Things happen. Life happens. And, you know, breaks come up. And Lois Aust is back to Alamo working again. And, you know, the world is a really strange place right now. But we love strange things. And we want to keep giving you content regarding that as long as we possibly can. So thank you. And Lois Aust, for our listeners that are new to the show, where can they find us on social media if they want to check us out? can find us at epic film guys on facebook twitter and instagram and if you want to join our fan group our listener hangout spot the hobster's dumpster you can find us at uh (laughs) (laughs) and you're sober too facebook.com slash groups slash epic film guys come chat movies horror movies especially we'd love to have you become a dumpster dweller and if you like what you heard today if you like any of the epic film guys content you've checked out be sure to check out more we have a huge catalog tons of horror stuff and of course a huge array of reviews of all different kinds of movies be sure to give us a five-star review on itunes every single review you receive on itunes helps us reach more awesome film lovers like yourself and we can grow and we can bring more of you guys in and do more awesome content for you so there it is This is Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And, well, until next time, we will see you at the movies. (laughs) Was that over the top? I can never tell. (laughs) 